0: Today.
1: do you want to do the one we did yesterday
0: no no
1: all right so i had a, enough of that one yeah well i want to hopefully do more of that one but all right but the, it says as we can see on the one hand many scientists have a deep have a deep personal commitment to the concept that life comes from matter on the other hand they admit that they do not have the evidence to corroborate their conviction and that their theory is beset with intractable problems. They are convinced that life arose from matter and is reducible to matter, yet, at the same time, they must confess to having scant scientific grounds for their conviction. Thus, the theory is a priori. It supersedes the scientific method and science itself. Their fervent, almost messianic hope is that someday, somehow, someone may be able to validate it, and in the meantime, their faith is unshakable. Any thoughts? Dazzling technological achievements have given modern scientists an aura of infallibility, and so when the scientists present untested or unprovable theories about life's origin, people tend to accept with blind faith. In passages about Earth, William Irwin Thomas writes, <clears throat> Just as once there was no appeal for the p- power of ch- the churches without risking damnation, so now there is no appeal. From the power of science without risking a change, a charge of irrationality and insanity. And as botanist Garrett <coughs> Hardin notes, anyone who questions the status of Darwin inevitably attracts a speculative psychiatric eye to himself. Any thoughts? Oh, That's actually true. And in, in if you go to a psych ward and stuff, they will ask you questions like, Do you believe in demons? and do you believe in, and that? will be used against you, you know? Any thoughts? Like religious ideas. Yeah, they do. When they do that, those MMPI tests. But it says the dialogues in Life Comes from Life may seem revolutionary, but then were not Newton, Pasteur, and <clears throat> Einstein scientific revolutionaries. Life Comes from Life does not simply criticize those who support the theory that matter is the origin of life. Rather, this book encourages them to rededicate themselves to a more genuine and intense quest for truth and knowledge and to thereby redirect their valuable intelligence, resources, and work toward the true benefit of the world. Any thoughts? No. All right. So, Srila Prabhupada, even on the sun even on the sun and moon, there are living entities. What is the opinion of the scientists? Dr. Singh, they say there is no life there. Any thoughts? No. Srila Prabhupada, that is nonsense. There is life there. Dr. Singh, they say that there is no life on the moon because they did not find any there. Srila Prabhupada. Why do they believe that? The moon planet is covered with dust. But within the dust, the living entities can live. Every atmosphere is suitable for life, any atmosphere. Therefore, the Vedas describe the living entities as Sarvagata, which means existing in all circumstances. The living entity is not material. Although when in a material body, he is not material. But when we speak of different atmospheres, refer to different material conditions. Any Karandhara. <clears throat> they say that the moon's atmosphere is unsuitable for life, but all they can legitimately say is that it is unsuitable for life that they, as they know it. Srila Prabhupada, the Vedas, say that the living entity has no connection with material things. He cannot be burned, cut, dried up, or moistened. <clears throat> this is discussed in Bhagavad Gita. Any thoughts? Dr. Singh, scientists extend their knowledge about life on this planet, thinking that it must apply to life on other planets also. Srila Prabhupada, yes, they are thinking foremost of their own selves. They are thinking unlimitedly in terms of their own circumstances. This is what is called Dr. Frog's philosophy. Once there was a frog in a well, and when a friend informed him of the existence of the Atlantic Ocean, he asked the friend, Oh, what is this Atlantic Ocean? It is a vast body of water, his friend replied. How vast? Is it twice the size of the well? Oh, no, much, much larger, his friend replied. How much larger? Ten times the size? In this way, the frog went on calculating. But what is the possibility or ever of ever, ever understanding the vastness, vastness of the great ocean in this way? Our faculties, our experience, and our power of speculation are always limited. The speculation of the scientists only give rise to such frog philosophy. Any thoughts? <coughs> Karandhara, the basis of what they call scientific integrity is that they talk only about what they can directly experience. Srila Prabhupada, you may talk about your experience and I may talk about my experience, but why should I accept your experience? You may be a fool, so why should I also become a fool? You may be a frog, but suppose I am a whale. Why should I take your will as all in all? You have your method of acquiring scientific knowledge and I have mine. Dr. Singh, because the scientists haven't detected any water on the surface of the moon, they've concluded that no life could survive there. Srila Prabhupada. They haven't seen the whole surface of the moon. Suppose someone were to come from another planet, drop into the Arabian desert, and then return home. Could he come to a complete conclusion about the nature of the whole earth? His knowledge would be inc- not be complete. Karandara. <clears throat> they have a device that senses water. They say they've had it orbit the moon, and they've concluded that the moon has no water, and therefore no life. Srila Prabhupada, even if as on the sun, there is apparently no water. Still, there are living entities there. How does a cactus grow in the desert, apparently without water? Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Karandara, it gets its water from the atmosphere. the Prabhupada, yes, <clears throat> because the atmosphere contains all the elements needed to sustain life. Earth, water, fire, air, and ether. In anything material, all these elements are present. For example, in my body, there is water, although you cannot see it. Similarly, you don't see fire in my body, yet my body is warm. Where does this warmth come from? You don't see any fire. Do you see any fire burning in my body? Then where does the warmth come from? What is the answer? The universe and the atoms. Srila Prabhupada. All matter is a combination of five gross elements. Earth, water, air, and ether. And three subtle elements. Mind, intelligence, and false ego. Any thoughts?
0: False ego?
1: Yep. That's that's like a common like Hindu understanding of Hindu? Are of, you Hindu? Of, of the of the elements and everything. <laughs> Any thoughts? No. <clears throat> so it says uh, according to the Vedic science, uh, According to the Vedic science, material energy begins with the false ego and then develops into the intelligence, then the mind, and then the gross elements: ether, air, fire, and so on. On the same. So the same basic in- ingredients are present in all matters. Is this right? Sure. The Prabhupada. Yes. The creation of the material universe is like the growth of a great banyan tree from a tiny seed. No one can see the tree within the seed, but all necessary ingredients for the tree are there, including the required intelligence. Actually, everybody, everyone's body is simply a, s- a sample universe. Your body and my body are different universes, small universes. Therefore, all eight material elements are present within our bodies. This as they are within the whole universe. Similarly, an insect's body is another universe. Any thoughts? <clears throat> oh, that's, an that's, an, that's kind of a metaphor for oneness, right? I mean, that's what the ancient Greeks thought, too. They thought that everything was made of those four elements, right? But Karandara, how about the atoms? Here, the Prabhupada, the same formula applies. All these constituents are within the atom. Enor, Anyan, Mahato, mahian. This means that whether something is extremely large or infinitesimal it is still made of the same basic elements this is true everywhere in the material world i would say it's all the quadrant representation but not the four elements but just as because you know the the elements made up of the four particles but just as a woman's uh, small watch has all the requisite machinery for its smooth functioning so an ant has all the necessary brain substance to manage affairs nicely how is this possible to answer this properly you must Minutely examine the brain tissue in the ant, but this you cannot do. Moreover, there are innumerable insects smaller than the ant. So there must be a mechanical arrangement for all the detailed activity, but scientists cannot discover it. Relativity and knowledge. Any thoughts? Srila <laughs> <laughs> Prabhupada. All living entities possess the required intelligence to execute four principles. Eating, sleeping, sexual intercourse, and defense. These four principles exist even in the atom. The only difference... In the human being is that he has the extra intelligence with which to understand God. This is the difference. Ahara, Nidra, Baya, Maitum, Cha, Sanama, etama. Eating, sleeping, sex, life, and defense are to be found everywhere. You Any thoughts? You have seen trees growing. Wherever there is a knot, the bark does not go this way. It goes that way. Sri the Prabhupada gestures to show that a tree's bark grows not over a knot but around it. The tree has intelligence. If I go this way, I will be blocked, so I will go that way. But where are its eyes? How can it see? It has intelligence. That intelligence may not be as good as yours, but it is intelligence. Similarly, a child also has intelligence, so not as developed as his father's. In due course of time, when the child gets a body like that of his father, the child's intelligence will be fully developed and exhibited. Any thoughts? What, what is intelligence, any thoughts, is the capacity
0: to uh, to navigate and negotiate in it's the world in which it finds itself.
1: So Dr. Singh, that intelligence is relative. Srila Prabhupada, yes, everything is relative. You have your body, your duration of life, and your intelligence, and the ant has his. Both we and the ant live for 100 years, but the length of our 100-year lifespan is relative to our bodies. Even Brahma, the longest living entity in the universe, lives for 100 years. To us, the ant's life Span may seem only a few days. In the same way, on other planets with atmospheres different from the Earth, there are life forms suited to those conditions. But the scientists try to say uh, try to view everything according to the relative conditions of planet Earth. This is nonsense. Why are they doing that? <clears throat> if the whole cosmic manifestation follows the law of relativity, how can the scientists say that the conditions of this planet must apply to life on other planets? Any thoughts? that is true you know even if even if you see like you know our scientific instruments show us these things about the planets we how do you know that that's true like you know you see saying like in the according to the vedas there's you know there's basically gods and stuff on these different planets and stuff but maybe there is but we just don't see it with our instruments you know and there's different laws and 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 in in our dream matrix that's what they're trying that's what our our dream is trying to show us to keep us entranced entrenched with it within it but that doesn't mean that's what it is. Any thoughts? <laughs> Good. The Vedas instruct us that knowledge must always be considered in terms of desa, kala, patra. Desa means circumstances, kala means time, and patra means the object. We must understand everything by taking these three elements into consideration. For example, a fish is living very comfortably in the water, and we are shivering on the shore of the sea. This is because my desa, kala, patra, and the fish's desa, kala, patra are different. But if we conclude that the seagulls will also shiver in the water, that is nonsense. Their desa kalapata is again different. There are 8,400,000 8, different species of life in the material cosmic manifestation. And each species must adjust to circumstances differently. Even on this planet, you cannot go live comfortably in Alaska, although it, although it is America. Similarly, the living entities enjoying life in Alaska did not come here. Relativity, then, is based upon our individual situation. Srila Prabhupada. Yes. Therefore, it is said that what is food for one is poison for another. Brahmanda Swami. Because scientists cannot survive on the moon, they think no one else can. The 8.6 billion-year-old day. Any thoughts? No. Dr. Singh. The problem with the world is that practically everyone is thinking only in terms of his own circumstances, and that is nonsense. Student. Someone who has never gone out of his village thinks that his village is the whole world. Sure, the Prabhupada, yes. The frog is always thinking in terms of relative to his will. He has no power to think otherwise. The ocean is great, but he is thinking of the ocean's greatness in terms of, in terms relative to his own greatness. Similarly, God is great, but we are thinking of God in terms of relative greatness, greatness relative to our own. There are certain insects that are born at night and they grow, bear offspring and die all before daybreak. Any thoughts? They never see the morning, so if they conclude that there is no morning, that is nonsense. In the same way, as soon as we hear from the Sastras revealed scriptures that Brahma's duration of life is equivalent to a million of our years, we do not believe it. We say, How can it be? But Bhagavad Gita says, Saharasra Yaya Pariyatam Ahariyata 4,300,000,000 earth years equals Brahma's 12 hours. Any thoughts?
0: see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist
1: but also that that could be metaphorical too you know but yeah that's true but any thoughts even a leading Indian politician who was known as a great scholar of the Kita could not accept this information he said it in mental speculation such a rascal yet he is passing as an important scholar this is the problem rascals and fools are passing as scholars scientists and philosophers and therefore the whole world is being misguided any thoughts is that, is that a little bit judgmental?
0: No. You can use it as judgmental, but mm-hmm. it's an it's a accurate discernment.
1: Mm-hmm. So it says, Darwinism extinct. Srila Prabhupada. This material world is a composition of three qualities, sattvas, rajas, and tamas, goodness, passion, and ignorance, which are working everywhere. These three qualities are present in various proportions in all species of life. For example, some trees produce nice fruit, while others are simply meant for fuel. This is due to the association of particular qualities of nature. Any thoughts? What do you think about the idea of goodness, passion and ignorance? They say that they say that uh, that Vishnu is goodness, uh, Shiva is ignorance and Brahma is passion. Any thoughts? Among animals also these three qualities are present. The cow is in the quality of goodness, the lion in passion and the monkey in ignorance. According to Darwin, Darwin's father is a monkey. He has theorized foolishly. Any thoughts? No. No, I
0: don't know how they made those connections from those three. Yeah. About the monkey, the lion,
1: and... Yeah. Maybe because the cow gives you its milk, the lion, you know, kills, and the monkey just kind of like, you know, fools around. Like, any thoughts? So, Dr. Singh, Darwin has said that some species become extinct in the struggle for survival. Those which are capable of surviving will survive, but those which are not will become extinct. So, he says survival and extinction go side by side. Srila Prabhupada, nothing is extinct. The monkey is not extinct. Darwin's immediate forefather, the monkey, is still existing. Karandara, Darwin said there must be a natural selection, but selection means choice. So, who is choosing? Srila Prabhupada, That must be a person who is allowing someone to survive and someone to be killed. There must be some authority with discretion to give such an order. That is our first proposition. Who that authority is, is explained in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, nature is working under my supervision. Any thoughts? So he's going against the idea that it's random at least. you know, Even if you want to look at Krishna as metaphorical, at least he's going against the idea that it's random. Like natural selection is just random. We do like the quadrant shows that there is a quadrant order, a quadrant controlling. Any thoughts? So, Dr. Singh Darwin also says that the different species were not created simultaneously but evolved gradually. Srila Prabhupada, then what is the explanation for how the process of evolution began? Karandara, modern proponents of Darwinism say that the first living organism was created chemically. Srila Prabhupada, and I say to them, if life originated from chemicals, and if your science is so advanced then why can't you create life biochemically in your laboratories? Any thoughts? In the future, Karandara. They say they will create life in the future. the Prabhupada. What future? When this crucial point is raised, they reply, we shall do it in the future. Why in the future? That is nonsense. Trust no future, however pleasant. If they are so, so advanced, they must demonstrate now how life can be created from chemicals. Otherwise, what is the meaning of their advancement? They are talking nonsense. Karandara. They say that they are right on the verge of creating life. Srila Prabhupada. That's only a different way of saying the same thing. In the future, the scientists must admit that they still do not know their origin of life. Their claim that they will soon prove a chemical origin of life is something like paying someone with a post-dated check. Suppose I give you a post-dated check for $10,000, but I actually have no money. What is the value of the check? Scientists are claiming... That their science is wonderful, but when a practical example is wanted, they say they will provide it in the future. Suppose I say that I possess millions of dollars, and when you ask me for some money, I say, yes, I will now give you a big post-dated check. Is that all right? If you are intelligent, you will reply: at present. Give me at least $5 in cash so I can see something tangible. Similarly, the scientists cannot produce even a single blade of grass in their laboratories, yet they are claiming <clears throat> that life is produced from chemicals. What is this nonsense? Is no one questioning this? Any thoughts No, that's a good metaphor. What do you think about that, any thoughts No. Current they they say that life is produced by chemical laws through the Prabhupada As soon as there is a law, we must take into consideration that someone made the law. Despite all their so-called advancement, the scientists in their laboratories cannot produce even a blade of grass. That that kind of what kind of scientists are they, Dr. Singh? They say that in the ultimate analysis, everything came from matter. Living matter came from non-living matter. Srila Prabhupada, then where is this living matter coming from now? Do the scientists say that life came from matter in the past, but does not at present? Where is the ant coming from now? From the dirt? Any thoughts? No. The missing link, Dr. Singh. In fact, there are several theories explaining how life originated from matter, how living matter came from non-living. Srila Prabhupada, casting Dr. Singh in the role of a materialistic scientist. All right, scientists, why is life not coming from matter now, you rascal? Why isn't life coming from matter now? Actually, such scientists are rascals. They childishly say that life came from matter, although they are not at all able to prove it. Our Krishna consciousness movement should expose all these rascals. Any thoughts? They are only bluffing. Why don't they create life immediately? In the past, they say life arose from matter, and they say... That this will happen again in the future. They say. They even say that they will create life from matter. What kind of theory is this? They have already commented that life began from matter. This refers to the past began. Then why do they now speak of the future? Is it not contradictory? They are expecting the past to occur in the future. This is childish nonsense. Any thoughts, Karandar? They say that life arose from matter in the past, and that they will create life in the that way in the future. sure the Prabhupada. What is this nonsense? If they cannot prove that life arose arises from matter in the present, how do they know life arose this way in the past? Doctor Singh, they are assuming, through the Prabhupada, everyone can assume, but this is not science. Everyone can assume something. You can assume something. I can assume something. But there must be proof. We can prove that life arose arises from life. For example, a father begets a child. The father is living and the child is living. But but where is there proof that a father can be a dead stone? Where is there proof? We can easily prove that life began from life. And the original life is Krishna That also can be proven But what evidence exists That a child is born of stone They cannot actually prove that life comes from matter They are leaving that aside for the future Any thoughts? Uh So I mean he's kind of saying like you know That God is living And he created life Like any thoughts of that? Well I'm not
0: sure what they're saying
1: well, that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that the materialistic idea that life came from like vents in the ocean isn't true. He's saying that it came from Krishna, who's living. Any thoughts? Yeah,
0: well, he's saying what well, what he's saying for sure is that it didn't come from matter.
1: Hmm. Karandara, the scientists say that they, yeah, but you would say, well, it came from energy because there is no matter. But any thoughts? I didn't say that. No, I know, but but that's what you could say, but but that but he but he's also saying that no, it came from Krishna. But any thoughts? But you might say, well, Krishna's energy, but any thoughts? Or consciousness, or whatever. No. So this is Karandara, The scientists say that they can can now formulate acids, amino acids, that are almost like one-celled living organisms. They say that because these acids so closely resemble living beings, there must be just one missing link needed to before they can create life. Any thoughts? <laughs> the Prabhupada. Nonsense. Missing link. I'll challenge them to their face. They are missing this challenge. This missing link is this challenge to their face. Noble prize for an ass. Dr. Singh, some scientists, scientists hope that in the future they will be able to make babies in test tubes. Should the Prabhupada, test tubes? Dr. Singh, yes, they intend to combine male and female elements in biological laboratories. Shri the Prabhupada, if they begin with living entities, what is the purpose of the test tube? It is only a place for combination, but so is the womb. Where is the credit for the scientists if this is already being done in nature's test tube? So, Srila Prabhupada, yeah, uh, or uh, Karnadara, it is already being done by nature, but when someone, when some scientist does it, people will give him the Nobel Prize. Srila Prabhupada, yes, that is stated in Srimad Bhagavatam. This verse indicates that some, that those who praise men who are like animals are no better than dogs, hogs, camels, and asses. Sva means dog, stool-eating hog, camel, ass. If the Nobel Prize is given to a scientist who is a rascal, The men on the committee who give that prize are no better than dogs, hogs, camels, and asses. We don't accept them as human beings. One animal is praised by another animal. Where is the credit in that? If the men on the committee are no better than animals, anyone who receives a Nobel Prize in science is fool number one because animals are praising him, not human beings. Any thoughts? Do Do you think that's a little bit judgmental? That way. I would say I would say it is a little bit Because like I mean even if you want to look at it this way Like you know Krishna consciousness tries to like look highly upon animals Like not eat animals but yeah you're calling humans Animals as like a as a diss Like I think just like dissing people in general Sometimes isn't isn't beneficial but maybe you know Maybe it's coming from inspiration I don't know any thoughts <laughs> So Dr. Singh for some scientists The Nobel Prize is the ultimate through the Prabhupada They are rascals they are speaking nonsense And because they are juggling words Others are being misled Brahmananda Swami. Nobel is the person who invented dynamite. Srila Prabhupada. He has created great misfortune and he has left his money for creating further misfortune. Brahmananda Swami. The Gita says that demonic people perform acts meant to destroy the world. Srila Prabhupada. Yes. They perform acts meant for inauspiciousness and destruction of the world. The difference between the living and the non-living. Srila Prabhupada points at a dead tree with his cane. Srila Prabhupada formerly leaves and twigs were growing from this tree now they are not how would the scientists explain this karandara they would say that the tree's chemical composition has changed to prove that theory they must be able to inject the proper chemicals to make branches and leaves grow again the scientific method includes observation hypothesis and demonstration then it is perfect but the scientists cannot actually demonstrate in their laboratories that life comes from matter they simply observe and then speak nonsense they are like children in our childhood We observed a gramophone box and thought that within the box was a man singing an electric man. We thought there must have been an electric man or some kind of ghost in it. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's that's a good metaphor. Dr. Singh, one of the popular questions that arises when we start studying biology is what is the difference between a living organism and that which is not living? The textbooks say that the chief characteristics that distinguish the two are that a living being can move and reproduce whereas dead matter can do neither. But the books never talk about the nature of the soul or about the consciousness of a living entity. Any thoughts? No. Srila Prabhupada, but consciousness is a primary indication that life is present. Only because of consciousness can a living being move and reproduce because a person is conscious, conscious he thinks, of marrying and beginning children. And the original consciousness is described in the Vedas. This means that God, the original conscious being, said, I shall become many. Without consciousness, there is no possibility of byproducts. Any thoughts? statement. Any thoughts? No. The individual living force, through the Prabhupada. The gardeners supply water to the green trees. So why don't they supply water to the dead tree and make it green? Dr. Singh. From experience, they know that it will not grow, through the Prabhupada. Then what is the element that is lacking? Scientists say that chemicals are the cause of life, but all the chemicals that were present when the tree was alive are still there, and these chemicals are still supporting the lives of many living entities, such as microbes and insects, so they cannot say that life energy is lacking in the body of the tree. The life energy is there, Dr. Singh. But what about the life energy of the tree itself, the Prabhupada? Yes, that is a difference. The living force <coughs> is individual, and the particular individual living entity that was a tree is left. This must be the case since all the chemicals necessary to support life are still there, yet the tree is dead. Here's another example. Suppose I am living in the apartment and then I leave it. I am gone but many other living entities remain there and spiders and so forth. So it is not true that simply because I have left the apartment it can no longer accommodate life. Other living entities are still living there. It is simply that I an individual living being have left. The chemicals in the tree are like the apartments. They are simply the environment for the individual force the soul to act through and the soul is the individual. I am an individual and therefore I may leave the apartment. Similarly the microbes are also individuals. They are Have individual consciousness. If they are moving in one direction but are somehow blocked, they think, let me go the other way. They have personality. Any thoughts? Well,
0: that's an interesting metaphor. Uh.
1: Hmm. Any thoughts? Karandara, but in a dead body there is no personality, the Prabhupada. This indicates that the individual soul has left that body. The soul is left, and therefore the tree does not grow. Any thoughts?
0: So the animating force is the soul.
1: Yeah, I guess. Any thoughts? Dr. Seen, within the living body, Srila Prabhupada, there are innumerable small living entities, but the individual self who owns the body is also living in there. Is that correct? Srila Prabhupada, yes. In my body, there are millions of living entities. In my intestines, there are many worms. If they become strong, then whatever I eat, they eat, and I derive no benefit from the food. Therefore, those who are full of hookworms eat very much but do not grow. They become lean and thin, and they are very hungry because... These small living entities are eating their food. So there are thousands and millions of living entities in my body. They are individuals and I am an individual. But I am the proprietor of the body. Just as I may be the proprietor of a garden in which uh, many millions of living entities reside. Any thoughts? <clears throat> no. Students, so if I eat Krishna Prasada, food offered to the Lord, are the living entities in my body also eating Prasada? Shri the Prabhupada, yes. You are very benevolent. You take Krishna Prasada for others. Karandara, welfare work. Srila Prabhupada, yes, but there are so many things within you for them to eat that you do not need to make separate endeavor to feed them. Minimum words, maximum solution. Srila Prabhupada, the individual soul is never lost. He does not die, nor is he born. He simply changes from one body to another, just as one changes garments. This is perfect science. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, what is that entity that
0: changes...
1: Yeah, any thoughts? No. What do you think? Any thoughts? No. Srila Prabhupada, they are not nice men. They are rascals. They are not even gentlemen. Under appropriate circumstances, gentlemen will have some shyness or some shame, but these men are rascals or are shameless. They cannot properly answer our challenges, yet they shamelessly claim that they are scientists and that they will create life. They are not even gentlemen. At least I regard them like that. A gentleman will be ashamed to speak nonsense. Dr. Singh, they do not think before they speak. Srila Prabhupada, that means that they are not human beings. A human being thinks twice before saying anything. Krishna makes the presence of life within the body so easy to understand. He says, as the embodied soul continually passes in the body from boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. The self-realized soul is not bewildered by such a change. In these two lines, Krishna solves the whole biological problem. That is knowledge. Minimum words, minimum solution. Any thoughts? Or maximum solution. Any thoughts?
0: Yeah, well... I still don't
1: see what he's saying that 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 soul is that passes from one body to another. Yeah, it also could be metaphorical, too. Any thoughts? Volumes of book expounding I mean because you know the, the story of Krishna Where he says that That's just a part of the Mahabharata And that's you know That's a That's an epic you know And it And it has its own co- Coherency to it And there's reincarnation in it But the reincarnation in the epic Is based around like You know It's a beautiful story Like you know th- This guy in this story Gets killed And then he becomes This guy in this story Who's a woman Because he has to Take revenge on this one And you know Any thoughts? Yeah So yeah, in, that's probably What he's talking Yeah, in these two lines, Krishna solves the whole biological problem. That is not it, okay. Volumes of books expounding nonsense have no meaning. Materialistic scientists are like croaking frogs. Ka-ka-ka-ka-ka-ka. Srila Prabhupada imitates the sound of a croaking frog, and the others laugh. The frogs are thinking, oh, we are talking very nicely, but the result is that the snake finds them and says, oh, here is a nice frog. the Prabhupada imitates the sound of a snake eating a frog. Bup, finished. When death comes, everything is finished. The materialistic scientists... Are croaking, ka but when death comes, their scientific industry is finished, and they become dogs, cats, or something like that. Any thoughts? <laughs> no,
0: I didn't follow that
1: one. I guess you know they're reincarnated as dogs. Um. Uh. So let's see. So, Srila Prabhupada is accompanied by Dr. Singh Karandara Dasa. Scientist is the Srila Prabhupada holding a rose in his hand. Can any scientist create a flower like this in the laboratory? That is not, Dr. Singh, that is not possible. Srila Prabhupada. No, it is not. Just see how wonderfully Krishna's energy is working. No scientist can create a flower like this in the laboratory. They cannot create even a few grains of sand. Yet they claim to possess the most advanced intellects in the universe. Um. This is foolish. I was going to say, though, it seems like he's kind of building up a straw man, you know, like he's like putting them down. Like, oh, yeah, they think that they can create. But, you know, you know, it's kind of a straw man argument. You know, any thoughts? Yeah, that's
0: good. That's, that's
1: insightful. Yeah, so, Dr. Singh, that's not possible. Sri the Prabhupada. No, it is not. Just see how wonderfully Krishna's energy is working. No scientist can create a flower like this in the laboratory. They cannot create even a few grains of sand yet. They claim to possess the most advanced intellects in the universe. They—they they take matter from Krishna, manipulate it, and then claim that they have created something wonderful through the prabhupada. At least, if they would admit that they have taken the matter from Krishna, that would be good. I mean, it's kind of self-confirmatory. Like they're trying to find a, trying to find an enemy that he can put down to make his thing superior, and he might have his own agendas, you know, uh, self self-confirmatory agendas like you know Hindu nationalism or you know whatever. I don't know any thoughts. But or even, even if that's not his agenda, that is something that arises from it because it's still self confirmatory. But you know, All it right. does. So Srila Prabhupada, at least if they would admit uh that they take that they have taken the matter from Krishna, that would be good. We understand that everything comes from Krishna, Dr. Singh, but they will not admit that they are anything from Krishna or taking anything from Krishna. Instead they say that they are the creators. Srila Prabhupada. How have they created anything? They take the sand and mix it with some chemicals and make glass. They have not created the sand or the chemicals. They have taken them from the earth. How have they created anything? Dr. Singh, they say we have taken the materials from nature. Shri the Prabhupada. From nature means from a person. They have taken from nature, but they are thieves because everything in nature belongs to Krishna. Every, any thoughts? No. Everything is God's creation. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna states that if one does not perform yajna sacrifice, he is a thief. Yajna means acknowledging that things have been taken from Krishna. We should think, Krishna, you have given us many, many things for our maintenance. Any thoughts? This much acknowledgement Krishna wants, that's all. Otherwise, what can he expect from you? What are you in his presence? We should acknowledge Krishna's kindness. Therefore, before we eat, we offer the food to Krishna and say, Krishna, you have given us this nice food. So first you taste it. Then we eat it. Krishna is not hungry yet. He can eat the whole world and then again produce it exactly as it was. Any thoughts? No. Krishna is so perfect that if you take from Krishna all of Krishna's energy, all that all the original energy is still with him. That is the perfect conservation of energy. Any thoughts? The Origin of Nature Dr. Singh There is a scientific journal called Nature It contains articles concerning natural products like plants, flowers, and minerals But it does not mention God Srila Prabhupada We may rightly observe that plants are being produced by nature But the next question we must ask is Who has produced nature? To ask this is real intelligence Any thoughts? Dr. Singh They do not They don't generally think about this Srila Prabhupada Then they are foolish where does nature come from? As soon as we speak of nature, the next question should be, whose nature? Is, is it not so? For instance, I speak of my nature and you speak of your nature. Therefore, as soon as we speak of nature, the next inquiry should be, whose nature? Nature means energy. And as soon as we speak of energy, we must inquire into the source of the energy. Any thoughts? For example, if you speak of uh, electric energy, you must accept its source, the powerhouse. How can you deny it? Electricity does not come to us automatically. Similarly, nature is not working automatically. It is under the control of Krishna. Student, in the Vedas, it is said that material energy works under Krishna's direction. the Prabhupada, yes. As soon as you speak of energy, there must be a source. Any thoughts? Any thoughts, Kama?
0: Sort
1: that out. No. So, so it says the Prabhupada, yes, as soon as, okay, the mirage of the material world, Karandara, geologists study the strata of the earth's crust to trace out the origin of the earth, Srila Prabhupada, but these strata are being created and destroyed at every moment, now they are one way, and a half hour from now they will be different. They are jagat, always changing. Krishna says, states in Bhagavad Gita, physical nature is known to be endlessly mutable. Therefore, one cannot find out the source of all energy simply by observing the energy itself. Now the earth strata may be black. Later they may be white and then again black. So the geologists study the black color, then the white color, again the black and so on. This is called uh, chewing the chewed. Now it is cold. At midday it will be warm and at night, it will be cold again. In this way, the entire material cosmic manifestation is subject to different types of change. Even our bodies are changing, everything is changing, but what is the eternity behind the changing? That is a subject of real knowledge. Any thoughts? That's like the world of forms, like the mathematic Plato, you know? Any thoughts? Uh, The scientists do not find that eternity and therefore they are disappointed. They think that the background of everything is void, zero. They think that eternity is zero, and when they are asked what the zero comes from, they say, it comes from nothing. So we must ask them, how have the varieties come about? The Veda conclusion is that the variety is eternal, although the changing varieties the scientists study in the material world are temporary. These varieties are shadow varieties. Real varieties exist eternally in the spiritual world. Any does. So the material universe, Dr. Singh, so the material universe is like a mirage through the Prabhupada. Yes, suppose I think I see water in the desert when there is no water. This is an illusion. Water exists, but not in the mirage. Similarly, the material varieties we see, the varieties of enjoyment are like a, like that mirage. Any thoughts? As I say, it's like a dream, you know, like you see it, but it's like a mirage. Like we, we the living entities are meant for enjoyment, but we are seeking enjoyment in a false place and an illusion. We are like the desert animals who run after water in a mirage and eventually die of thirst. They cannot relieve their thirst with such illusory water. Similarly, we are trying to manufacture many things to satisfy our thirst for enjoyment, but we are being baffled at every turn because material existence is an illusion. Therefore, real intelligence means to inquire where is the reality? Where is the eternal substance behind the illusion? If we can find that out, that uh, we can experience real enjoyment. Any thoughts? <coughs> So the fourth morning walk, the progress of the assets through the Prabhupada. Everyone is suffering here in the material world and scientific improvement means that the scientists um, are creating a situation of further suffering. That's all. They are not making improvements. Vinoda Takura confirms this by saying, by so-called scientific improvements, the scientist has become an ass. Moreover, he is becoming a better and better ass and nothing more. Suppose... That by working very hard like an ass, a person builds a skyscraper. He may engage in a lifelong labor for this, but ultimately he must die. He cannot stay. He will be kicked out of his skyscraper because material life is impermanent. Scientists are constantly doing research. And if you ask them what they are doing, they say, oh, it is for the next generation, for the future. But I say, what about you? What about your skyscraper? If in your next life you are going to be a tree, what will you do with your next generation then? But he is an ass. He does not know that he is going to stand before the skyscraper for 10,000 years. And what about the next generation? If there is no petrol, what will the next generation do? And how will the next generation help him if he is going to be a cat or a dog or a tree? Any thoughts? (laughs) The scientists and everyone else should endeavor to achieve freedom from the repetition of birth and death. But instead, everyone is becoming more and more tangled in the cycle of birth and death. This is a quotation from Srimad Bhagavatam. Here in one line the whole material existence is explained. This is literature. This one line is worth thousands of years of research work. It explains how the living entity is taking birth in the world, where he comes from, where he is going, what his activity should be, and many other essential things. The word uh, refers re- referred to the struggle for existence. Why does this struggle exist? Because of adivya, ignorance, and what is the nature of that ignorance? Kama karbiba, Uh, being forced to work simply for the senses, or in other words entanglement in the material sense gratification. Any thoughts? No. Student, so is it true that modern scientific research increases the demand of the body because the scientist is ultimately working to gratify his senses through the Prabhupada? Yes. Word jugglery and world crisis through the Prabhupada. It is said in the Vedas, if one knows the absolute truth, then all other things become known. Any thoughts?
0: If one knows
1: what? The absolute truth, then all other things become known. Any thoughts?
0: Yeah, well, that's what absolute
1: truth is, I guess. Yeah, I'll say the absolute truth is a quadrant, you know, because you know that one thing, and then you see that everything kind of fits that pattern, like any thoughts? No. So it says, I am not a PhD, yet I can challenge a scientist. Why? Because I know Krishna, the absolute truth. If one is situated in Krishna consciousness, then even in the greatest calamities, he will not be disturbed. Srimad uh, Bhavatam declares, Great personalities have decided that Krishna consciousness is a perfection of life. The kind of knowledge is acquired is required. Not that we do not research, come up with a theory, and after 15 years say, no, no, it is not right. It is another thing. This is not science. That is child's play. Um, Dr. Singh, That is how they discovered things by research. Oh oh, grab a. could could we uh um (coughs) Could, could we could we listen to this uh this audio thing real quick? You ready? All right, tell tell me what you think of this, Ray. This is called Minor Feelings.
2: Like minor These novels are supposedly a treat because we can now identify with the protagonist. That meant that not only must I affect myself to be titled protagonist, but then mourn for the loss of his precious childhood, as if it were my own. In overrated classics like Catcher in the Rye, my ninth grade teacher told us that we would all fall in love with Catcher in the.
1: Tell me if it's tell me if it's too too fast, ready, But listen to this, ready?
2: of with catcher in the rye. The entitled white protagonist, Spear, till it right. sideways as another connotation. So this is called It's yes.
1: yes. called uh, minor feelings. It's by an Asian woman. And she she talks about the life of my uh, of of Asian people. But ready?
2: Giving side-eyes, telegraphs doubt, suspicion, and even contempt. I came of age being bombarded with coming of age novels in school, unlike the works of William Shakespeare or Nathaniel Hawthorne, which is teacher forced upon us like vitamin-rich vegetables. So this is
1: kind of interesting. She, she's, what she's saying is that, like, she does mention this before, that, like, you know, the, the whole notion of, like, childhood is a social construction. Like, back in the day, like, a child wasn't seen as naive and, like, put on a pedestal. Like, now there's, like, an idealization of the child. But that's, like, a modern construction. Like, back in the day, they would do work and stuff, and they were seen as, like, little adults. Like, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I, I kind of like that idea because it's kind of like the same thing as, like, black and white and, like, you know, male and female and also child and non-child. Like, I, when, I think the same thing. Like, when I was a child, I wasn't so naive. I wasn't, you know, maybe a little bit, but not really. Like, I feel like in ways I was even smarter. Like, I don't know if in, – and, in, in, like, you see that a lot with, like, the, the, the right-winger, like, Trump supporters. Like, you're trying to, like, idealize children. Like, oh, we need to save the children and stuff like that. But it's, like, even Noah said, like, children are resilient, like, even if a child is raped you know that's what the right wingers all against like the, the like child child trafficking and stuff but even if a the children are, are resilient maybe not so much if you make them into like you know idealized things that they they, they can't be touched but you know any thoughts
0: yeah i i i think that you're right we corrupt them
1: but but I, I would admit, probably if, you know, someone's raped and stuff, it probably does have psychological effects. Like, my friend who's kind of schizophrenic, he said that when he was a little kid, some some old man came up to him when he was, like, walking in the park and sucked on his penis. Like, any thoughts?
0: Oh, oh, yeah, that would have a traumatic effect.
1: Yeah, but any thoughts? No. Okay. Upon
2: us Like vitamin-rich vegetables. These novels were supposedly a treat because we can now identify with the protagonists. That meant that not only must I connect myself to the entitled white protagonist, but then mourn for the loss of his precious childhood, as if it were my own, in overrated classics like Catcher in the Rye. My ninth grade teacher told us that we would all fall in love with Catcher in the Rye. The elusive maroon cover added to its mystique,
1: I... No.
2: Waiting to fall in love with Salinger's cramped, desultory writing, until I was annoyed... Holden Caulfield was just some rich prep school kid who cursed like an old man, spent money like water, and took taxis everywhere. He was an entitled asshole who was as supercilious as the classmates he calls phony. But beyond his privilege, I found Holden's fixation with childhood even more alien. I wanted to get my childhood over with as quickly as possible. Why didn't Holden want to grow up? Who were these pure and precocious children who wore roller skates that needed a skate key? What teenage boy had a fantasy of catching children in a field of rye, lest they happen to fall off a cliff to adulthood?
1: thoughts?
0: Hey, no. I don't remember. I I remember reading Catcher in the Rye, but I just can't remember it at all what it was about.
1: Yeah. Well, she's kind of explaining it, but any thoughts?
2: No. The alignment of childhood with innocence... Is an Anglo American invention that wasn't popularized until the 19th century. Before that, in the West, children were treated like little adults who were, if they were raised Calvinist, damned to hell unless they found salvation. William Wordsworth is one of the main architects of childhood as we sentimentalize it today. In his poem Ode, Intimations of Immortality, Wordsworth sees the child as full of wonder and what.
1: Wa- no. I feel like you kind of do that. You kind of sentimentalize children, like full of wonder and everything, like any thoughts? Well,
0: I, I don't think that's sentimentalizing
1: them. Well, that's, this, is, this is what she's saying, like any thoughts?
2: No. Wonder and wiser than man, because in his uncorrupted state, the child is closer to God. I see the heavens left with you in your jubilee. Wordsworth may be one of the main architects of nostalgia as well. By writing the poem from the adult's perspective, he sees the boy as a surrogated vessel into which the adult, consternated by his failures, pours his reveries. The legacy of Holden Caulfield's arrested development has dominated the American culture industry, from the films of Steven Spielberg and Wes Anderson to the fiction of Jonathan Safran Foer. In the mid odds there was even a short-lived movement called New Sincerity, where artists and writers thought that it would be a radical idea to feel... To feel entailed regressing to one's own childhood.
1: Hey, does. What do you think about that?
0: I still am not getting a sense of what this this is about.
2: When there was no internet and life was much purer and realer. Though they prized authenticity above all else, they stylized their work in a vaguely repellent, faux naif aesthetic that dismissed politics for shoegazing self interest. Wes Anderson was once classified as a new sincerity filmmaker. I recently re-watched his Moonrise Kingdom, which, as one blogger noted, is as pleasurable and light as a macaroon. Filtered through aging postcard lighting, Moonrise Kingdom is as much an exhibition of found nostalgic souvenirs as it is a story with memorable curios like a sky-blue portable record player and a Wilson tennis ball canister of nickels. Anderson's fastidious Etsy auteurship is to be admired, but Anderson is a collector, and a collector's taste is notable for what he leaves out. Sometimes, non-white characters, mostly quiet Indian actors, decked out in the elaborate livery of the help, have appeared in Anderson's other films. But in the safe, insulated palette of Moonrise Kingdom, there is no hint of the other. The characters are all mid-century white, the scrubbed white of Life magazine ads.
1: Any thoughts? No. Do you think that she's making a point, like, it, or is it dualistic? Like, you know, her point is that, like, that she's looking at this stuff, and she doesn't see like the, the the Asians or whatever. Like, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I still
0: haven't made much sense
2: out of what she's saying. That's, the film is in. That- she's
1: Asian. She's talking about her life as an as an Asian woman. She's and she's talking about like you know all the white people and stuff, like how oh, it's like a white culture or whatever. Like any thoughts?
2: the film is set in 1965 on the fictional island of new penzance based on new england where two 12 year olds fall in love and run away together the boy character sam is an orphan in the whimsical children's book sense odd scrappy full of mischief who convinces his memorial love interest susie to escape to a far off inlet called moonrise kingdom in this paradisical inlet they play at being self-sufficient adults they pitch camp fish for their own meals, and practice kissing. Susie's and Sam's parents and guardians look for them, and once they're caught, they run away again because social services want to send Sam away to juvenile refuge. Meanwhile, an incoming hurricane endangers the lives of the two runaways, but they're found again in the nick of time. The film ends happily. Susie and Sam stay together, and adopted by a local policeman, Sam becomes a junior cop just like his kind and Rugged Guardian. 1965 was a violent landmark year for the Civil Rights Movement. Black protesters attempted to... Hey,
1: thoughts? No. Alright, here's, here's, here's another book. To, you. Huh? Yeah, go
2: ahead.
0: What were you going to say? Well, I'm trying to get the connection between the, the story... Well, I just didn't put it all together.
1: Yeah, this one's by Jared Diamond called Upheaval. You heard of Jared Diamond, right?
3: Yeah. All right. Well, economies, thereby institutionalizing the corruption that remains today one of Indonesia's biggest problems.
1: Do you know about in Indonesia?
3: Well, I know
0: I know the country, but I don't know anything about its circumstances.
1: Problems.
3: Indonesia's founding president, Sukarno, 1901 to 1970, had begun his political career already in Dutch times as a nationalist leader against the Dutch colonial government. Like many Indonesians, Sukarno had only a single name, not a first name and a family name. The Dutch sent him into exile, from which the Japanese brought him back. It was Sukarno who issued Indonesia's proclamation of independence on August 17,
1: 1945.
3: It does? No. In ...45. Well aware of Indonesia's weak national identity, he formulated a set of five principles termed panja sila, which to this day serves as an umbrella ideology to unify Indonesia and was enshrined in the 1945 constitution. The principles are broad ones. Belief in one God, (laughs) Indonesian national unity, humanitarianism, democracy, and social justice for all Indonesians. As president, Sukarno blamed Indonesia's poverty on Dutch imperialism and capitalism. He does. Yeah, so
0: he's... uh... Working to invent a new order that the Indonesians could depend on. New order to depend on.
3: It
1: mm-hmm. does. No. Do you think that it's true that it, that the that the poverty was from the imperialism and everything, or or is that blaming, or is that cause and effect? Or... Well,
0: see, I don't know the specifics, but it, it follows the pattern that the old order that they were dependent on was outmoded and was falling apart and had to be replaced.
1: Mm.
3: Any thoughts? No. He <laughs> Indonesia's inherited debts, nationalized Dutch properties, and turned over the management of most of them to the army. He developed a state-centered economy that the army, the civil bureaucracy, and Sukarno himself could milk for their benefit. Not surprisingly, Indonesian private enterprise and foreign aid both declined. Both the US and the British governments became alarmed and sought to destabilize Sukarno's position, just as the US had tried to destabilize Allende in Chile. Sukarno responded by telling the US to go to hell with your aid. Then in 1965, he expelled the American Peace Corps and withdrew from the United Nations, World Bank, and International Monetary Fund. Inflation soared. does? No. Inflation soared, and Indonesia's currency, the rupiah, lost 90% of its value during 1965. At the time that Indonesia became independent, it had had no history of democratic self-government. Its experience of government was instead that of Dutch rule which in the final decades approximated a police state, as did Japanese rule after 1942. Fundamental to any functioning democracy are widespread literacy, recognition of the right to oppose government policies, tolerance of different points of view, acceptance of being outvoted, and government protection of those without political power. For understandable reasons, all of those prerequisites were weak in Indonesia. Hence, during the 1950s, prime ministers and cabinets rose and fell in quick succession. In the September 1955 elections, an astonishingly high 92% of registered voters went to the polls. But the outcome was a stalemate, because the four leading parties each obtained between 15% and 22% of votes and parliamentary seats. They could not compromise and fell into political gridlock. That breakdown of compromise among several parties equally matched in strength is already familiar to us from Chile and its Pinochet coup. With the difference that Chile at least had an educated, literate population and a long history of democratic government, whereas Indonesia had neither. Beginning in 1957, President Sukarno ended the gridlock by proclaiming martial law, then replaced Indonesian democracy with what he termed guided democracy which he considered more suitable to Indonesia's national character.
1: <laughs> it does.
0: Yeah, it sounds like he was... He, he, discover, he dis, discovered that his original idea was too advanced for the, the populace. The populace wasn't ready for that time, so he had to revise it into more of a, of a monarchical rather than a... De, de,
3: Democratic. Order. ...national character. Under guided democracy, the Indonesian parliament was supposed to practice mutual cooperation, or consensus through deliberation, instead of the usual democratic concept of the legislature as a setting in which parties compete. In order to ensure that parliament would mutually cooperate with his, Sukarno's, goals, more than half of the seats in parliament were no longer elected offices... But were instead appointed by Sukarno himself, and assigned to so-called functional groups rather than political parties, the army being one such functional group. Sukarno became convinced that he was uniquely capable of divining and interpreting the wishes, including the unconscious wishes, of the Indonesian people, and of serving as their prophet. After the 1955 Bandung Conference of Asian and African... Asian and African states, Sukarno extended his goals to the world stage and began to view it as his personal responsibility to have Indonesia play a leading role in third world anti-colonial politics at a time when Indonesia's own internal problems were so pressing. In 1963, he let himself be declared president for life. Sukarno launched two campaigns to translate his anti-colonial stance into deeds by trying to annex two territories on the verge of independence. The first campaign was directed at Dutch New Guinea, which, because of its ethnic distinctness, the Dutch had refused to cede to Indonesia after the revolution. The Dutch launched a crash program to prepare New Guineans for independence, (coughs) and New Guinea leaders adopted a national flag and a national anthem. But Sukarno claimed Dutch New Guinea for Indonesia, increased diplomatic pressure on the Dutch, ...and in 1961 ordered all three branches of the Indonesian armed forces... ...to take Dutch New Guinea by force. The result was a political success for Sukarno... ...but a tragedy for many of the Indonesian troops involved... ...and for those Dutch New Guineans looking forward to independence. It does? No. Independence. While one of the paintings displayed in my Indonesian hotel lobby in 1979 depicted what was described as an Indonesian battleship sailing against the Dutch. It was, in fact, just a small patrol boat sunk by a Dutch warship, causing the deaths of many Indonesian sailors. Indonesian paratroops were dropped by Indonesian air force planes into Dutch New Guinea, with results described to me by a friend who served then in the Dutch defense forces. Presumably out of fear of Dutch anti-aircraft capabilities during daylight hours... The paratroops were dropped blindly at night over forested terrain in an incredible act of cruelty. The unfortunate paratroops floated down into a hot, mosquito-infested sago swamp, where those who survived impact on sago trees found themselves hanging from the trees by their parachutes. The even smaller fraction who managed to free themselves from their parachutes dropped or clambered down into standing swamp water my friend and his dutch unit surrounded the swamp waited a week and then paddled into the swamp with boats to retrieve the few paratroops still alive despite those dutch military successes the u.s government wanted to appear to support the third world anti-colonial movement and it was able to force the dutch to cede dutch new guinea
1: Any
3: does no new guinea as a face-saving gesture The Dutch ceded it not directly to Indonesia, but instead to the United Nations, which seven months later transferred administrative control, but not ownership, to Indonesia, subject to a future plebiscite. The Indonesian government then initiated a program of massive transmigration from other Indonesian provinces, in part to ensure a majority of Indonesian non-New Guineans in Indonesian New Guinea. Seven years later, a hand-picked assembly of New Guinean leaders voted under pressure for incorporation of Dutch New Guinea into Indonesia. New Guineans who had been on the verge of independence from the Netherlands launched a guerrilla campaign for independence from Indonesia that is continuing today, over half a century later. Sukarno's other campaign, to translate his anti-colonial stance into deeds, was directed at parts of Malaysia, a group of former British colonies. Malaysia consists of states on the Malay Peninsula of the Asian mainland that achieved independence in 1957, plus two ex-British colonies, Sabah and Sarawak, on the island of Borneo.
1: Which it's is actually a really interesting book. I was listening to that.
3: Sabah and Sarawak joined yeah, independent okay. Malaysia Yeah, that's, that's enough for today. Where...
1: But a- a does?
0: Well, no, it just... To me, it's just, uh, again, it's an attempt... When you find an old order no longer functional, um, it's a struggle to 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 come up with a new order that fits the the circumstance.
1: Right, but really quick, can we listen to this really quick? This thing on called hood feminism. I just want I just want you to tell me what you think of this woman. Ready? Just really quick. Really quick one. Ready? Well. Let's see as, as, Why don't you tell me what, what you think of it, Ray?
4: Women of color are harmful, precisely because they dehumanize us and erase the damage that can be done to us by those who might mean well, but whose actions show that they don't actually respect us or our right to self-determine what happens on our behalf. I'm a feminist, mostly. I'm an asshole, mostly. I say these things because they are true, and in doing so, the fact that I am not nice is often brought up, and it's true. I'm not really a nice person. I am, at times, a kind person. But nice? Nope. Not unless I'm dealing with people I love, the elderly or small children. What's the difference? I am always willing to help someone in need, whether I know them or not. But niceness is more than helping. It is stopping to listen, to connect, to be gentle with your words. I reserve nice for people who are nice to me or for those who I know need it because of their circumstances. There are people in feminist circles who are nice, who are diplomatic, with soothing ways and the warm personality that enables them to put up with other people's shit without complaining. They have their lane, and for the most part, I think they handle things well. But my lane is different. I'm the feminist people call when being sweet isn't enough, when saying things kindly repeatedly is not working. I'm the feminist who walks into a meeting and says, hey, you're fucking up and here's how. A nice feminist feigned shock at my harsh words. They soothe hurt feelings, tell people they understand exactly why my words upset them. And then when the inevitable question of she hurt our feelings, but she has a point, how do we fix things so that we don't harm a co-worker, community, the company again comes up. The same nice feminist voices say the same things they had been trying and failing to convince people of before. Only now people can hear them because my yelling made folks pull their heads out of the sand. After the pearl clutching about my meanness passes, What's left is the realization that they have wronged someone, that they have not been as good, as helpful, as generous as they needed to think they were all along.
1: Hey, thoughts, Kevin?
4: Well, you see,
0: at least she's being honest about her her
1: interpersonal judgmental thinking. Yeah. She's not trying to.
0: She's not trying to fool anybody.
1: Well, she's but she thinks that that's what works. But she's probably yeah, she's probably judgmental. She's probably cussing and. And it's it's self-confirmatory and it's probably not really helping anything, but at least it, it is. It, it might it might shake people up better than the people who pretend to be nice, right? Yep, that's for sure. Like the, but you I mean, know
0: exactly you, you know exactly where she's coming from.
1: Yeah, what do you mean? Just that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know the types of people like her. Like, oh, I don't I don't play no games, girl. You know, I'm for real. Yeah. You know. Yeah but but it, it's probably a little but bit it's superior it's probably a little bit ally enemy predator prey a little bit yeah but do you want do you want to listen okay, to okay yeah, hey i got to go i uh, think